I'm so glad you're joining us today on Awakened to Grace. We are in Mark chapter 2, and we are going to see one of the most fascinating encounters with Jesus in the Bible. Four friends bring their paralyzed friend to see Jesus in, in order for Jesus to pray and touch and heal him. Well, the Bible says there were so many people there that day, they could not even get near the door. So what do these guys do? They go up on the roof and they tear the roof off to get their friend to Jesus. There are many lessons that we're going to learn today and we're going to see ourselves either in the crowd, either in these friends, or in this paralyzed man. I'm glad you're joining us today on Awakened Radio. Let's go to Mark chapter 2 this morning. We are in the middle of a quick three-week series. We're talking about the neighborhood. And today we're going to turn our attention to Mark chapter 2. Now, last week, if you missed last week's sermon, I want to encourage you to go back and watch or listen. Um, I enjoyed, oh, I just enjoyed every moment of it. We talked last week out of Luke chapter 14 about... Jesus being invited to a great dinner. To, uh, this was a big deal. And we called last week the great invitation. Jesus was invited to this fancy dinner that was hosted by one of the rulers of the Pharisees. And when he got there, it was really a setup. They brought a man with dropsy. He was a man today we call it edema. He was smothering. He was drowning in his own fluid Men like that weren't invited to dinners like this. And they brought this man to embarrass Jesus, but Jesus didn't take the bait. He took hold of the man and he healed him and he sent him on his way. Amen. And um, Jesus began to teach about humility and because they were clamoring for the best seats, Jesus taught that he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the point last week was that if you and I are clamoring in life for our comfort, for our ease, for our popularity, for our benefit, for our gain, then we're not going to see the man in the room with edema. We're not going to see the other people around us that God's put in our path to help them. You're not going to see your neighbor. Now, we... We're saying through this series, a neighbor could be someone who lives on your street or in your apartment building or a condominium, or it could be someone who you work with. It could be someone that you are online friends with. It could be someone that you knew in high school and you hadn't seen them in decades, but you still chat some. Your neighbor can be anyone that is around you. And so we're talking in the series, are we looking, are we seeing the people who God has put into our life. Well, today, last week we called it the great invitation. Today, we're going to look in Mark 2 and we're going to talk about the great anticipation. We're going to see three groups of people today. And I think if we look closely, we're going to see ourselves in one of the three. We're first going to see the crowd, the crowd who was so curious that they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say and see what he would do. And then we're going to see four men, four men who cared enough about their paralyzed friend 
that they literally moved heaven and earth to get him in front of Jesus. And then to close, we'll see this paralytic man and we'll see how the Lord touched him. Now, Mark chapter two, if you begin with me in verse one, uh, as you know, I'm unable to see the text, so I'll try to walk you through memory uh, through, through most of our text today. So Mark chapter two, verse one, the Bible says, and after many days when he had come to Capernaum, uh, it was reported that he was home. Now, let's understand first, before we go any further, Jesus never owned a home, okay? He never took out a mortgage. Um, he didn't own a home. I don't think they did mortgages back then, but anyway. He, he, didn't, um, he didn't own a home because we know through the Gospels, he says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't it amazing that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of the universe never owned a home. Isn't that fascinating to even think about? So what did Mark mean when he said that when it was reported that Jesus was home? Well, at this stage in Jesus, in his ministry, Capernaum was home to him. This was sort of a good way to see it as it was his home base at this moment. And so when it was reported, and you read Mark chapter 1 and how Jesus was going everywhere, taking authority over disease and over demons. Let me tell you, word was spreading about Jesus. And everyone wanted to see what he was going to do and hear what he had to say. And so Mark sets the scene for us in verse 2 that when it was reported that Jesus was home, he's in his home base, the Bible says that many people came to hear him. So much so that you couldn't even get to the door. Now, I, I, I picture in my mind's eye what this looked like. And one thing that helps me picture it is when I was only 12 years old, I had an opportunity to go to Romania in Eastern Europe. This was just three or four years after communism fell. And I went with a friend of our family who was a missionary, a full-time missionary over there. And he took me for my whole summer and, and took me to Romania and all over Eastern Europe and just all those former communist block countries. And I had the opportunity, being 12 years old, I had, it just shaped the whole course for my life. And I had the opportunity to meet pastors who had suffered greatly under communism. And because communism had just fallen a few years earlier, I mean, the gospel was just exploding all over these former communist countries. Churches were packed. Every church that they took me to, I mean, I remember being a kid and I'd walk in with these, you know, grown up missionaries and they would take us up front and people would get out of their seats and give us their seats and they would just stand along the walls. I remember being a kid and we went to this one place in a village and I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'm talking like it had dirt roads, right? It was called Doihoy. It was in, it's in northern Romania, right on the Ukrainian border. And I remember we went to this church in this small village and they had speakers outside the building and there were more people outside the building than what was inside the building. And I'll never forget seeing that as long as I live. And that's what I think of when I see this in Mark chapter 2. I don't think because what we're going to see in, in, in verse 3 is when the men come with the paralyzed man, they cannot even get close to the door. Mark doesn't tell us how many is here. We don't know if there were 20. We don't know if there were 50. If there were 100. We don't know. My personal belief is I think there were hundreds of people. 
I think you couldn't even get near the place. And here was this great crowd. Let's talk about the crowd for just a moment. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus was never impressed with crowds. Never. They never impressed him. Not once. I'm so thankful that one day I'm going to stand before God Almighty and I will give an account for my ministry. I'll give an account for my pastoral career. I'll give an account for the way in which I preached and the way in which I shepherd and the way in which I pastor people. And I'm so thankful that God does not measure me by crowds. I'm so thankful that God never sat down and said, now listen, Chad, if preaching Christ church is going to be what I want it to be, I need at least 7% growth this year. Okay, uh, let's, let's look at your budget. If, if you can grow that by 8%, uh, you, you, oh yeah. The Lord never did. Did you ever read in the Gospels where, P, where Paul writes to the churches and says, how's your attendance? Have you ever read that? How's your giving? Where's your giving level? You know what he says? How's your faith? Amen. And when Jesus sees these four men on the roof and they see this paralytic, what does the Bible say Jesus saw? Their faith. It's the only standard at which God measures us. He doesn't measure us by our money or our income or our retirement. He doesn't measure us by by, uh, natural ability or or human strength and nothing. No, he measures us by faith and by obedience. Those are the measurements in which God measures us. Holiness, faith, those things which money cannot buy. Amen? So here's this great crowd Jesus wasn't impressed with the crowd. If you notice, the crowd really was not a help at all. They were actually an obstacle. Why was this crowd here? All this crowd was was curious. That's it. Curiosity. You know how I know that? Because when you look down at the end of our section, the Bible says that when the man was healed and he got up and he walked out, listen to what the Bible says. The crowd was amazed. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. They were simply amazed. Hear my heart today. They didn't repent. They were just amazed. If we look close today, can you see yourself in this crowd? Are you someone that you hang around the things of God, but yet you've never repented? Are you someone that you get around because you, you, know, you, you want to hear about God's blessing. You want to hear what God can do for you. Yes, you believe in God. Yes, you pray. Yes, you may even consider yourself religious. But at the end of the day, you're part of the crowd. Or are you a person of faith? To me, that's what this text is about. Been to the hundreds of people, the Bible doesn't say that, I'm speculating there. I think it could have been 25, it could have been 50, but personally, I think it was several hundred people, but no matter how many it was, out of everybody that was there that day, who had faith? 
Jesus was never impressed with crowds. And what I can't understand is how four men carry a paralyzed man on a, probably more like a wooden pallet with a, with a bedding mattress on it. And as they're carrying their friend and they can't even get close to the door, what I don't understand is how does the crowd not part and say, please get this man to Jesus? You know what that tells me about this crowd? It tells me that they were an incredibly selfish people. What in reality they were was an obstacle to this man getting to Jesus. I don't want to be an obstacle to people coming to the Lord. And let me say it as frankly as I can. If you're someone that you're simply religious, if you're someone that you come to church or you listen to sermons or you read your Bible only to make yourself feel good, or to make yourself feel accepted by God, can I tell you, you're an obstacle to people genuinely coming to faith. It's a hindrance. And this crowd, this day, was an incredible hindrance to this poor, paralyzed man coming to know Jesus. I don't want to be part of the crowd. And today, I think in your heart of hearts, if you're listening to this sermon, I don't think that's what you want either. I think you really want to know the Lord, but I want to challenge you today. I want to ask you this question. Are you just hanging around the things of God? Or have you truly repented of your sins? Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you really a follower of Jesus or are you a Christian in name only? This crowd, they were amazed. They were astonished, but they were not repentant. And that's the difference in the text. Now, Mark is going to go on to describe. He says, when Jesus came to Capernaum after many days and it was reported that he was at home, Many people came to hear him. And what did Jesus do? Mark tells us what he did to the crowd. He preached the word to them. I love that. Jesus preached the word. How important this is. Yes, there are miracles. Yes, there are healings. Yes, there's the casting out of demons. Jesus did all of that. But above all, he preached the word. I think this is a word for the church today. Does God have freedom in this house? Oh, absolutely. God can rearrange our program at any moment. He can come in and he can move in any way in which he desires. Let me tell you, Christ is the head of this church, amen? He is the head and the Holy Spirit is welcome here and he can do anything he wants. He can heal anybody he wants. He can, he can do anything he wants. But primary... In this church, primary, and we love when God heals people and we love when God answers prayer. We love when, when prayer really ascends to the Lord. We love when worship really explodes and, and pushes like a, like a river overflowing its banks. We love it when worship time overflows and prayer times overflow. We love that, but let me tell you what's primary above everything, the preaching of the word. And Jesus models that here. Is there going to be a great healing? Oh, absolutely. 
but there's the preaching of the word. There's two dangers when we read the gospels if we're not careful. The first danger is the way the gospels can sometimes read to our culture, and I think it's just our culture that this is the case. But in our fast-paced culture, a lot of times we read the Gospels in a fast-paced way, and we think, man, Jesus went and did this and this and this and this, and he went from this healing to this synagogue to this miracle to this village to this region, and he just he cast out this demon, and he, just, and he never stopped, and that's not the case. You read the Gospels carefully, There were many times that Jesus stealed away. Many times that he went privately to pray. We see Jesus praying in the morning time, in the afternoon times, in the evenings. We see him at times praying all night long. Jesus knew what it was to slow down and go at God's rhythm. The second danger is that we see all the miracles. And often we don't emphasize the way Jesus preached. But he preached the word. And what was the result of it? Salvation and miracles, amen? It had the right order. And we want that right order in this house as well. So this crowd, they're unbelieving. They're hindering. They're an obstacle. They're spectators. At the end of the day, they're just simply curious about Jesus. At the end of the day, do you have a religious faith or do you have a saving faith? At the end of the day, are you around the things of God because of curiosity or because you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Now, number two, we see these four men. Now, these four men astonish me. (laughs) If you look in verse 3, and they brought a paralyzed man, a paralytic to Jesus, four friends carrying him. Now, when I get to heaven, I imagine there's all kinds of things I want to know. I have a laundry list of things I want to ask. But let me tell you one thing that I definitely want to do. I want to look up these four men who carried a paralyzed man to Jesus. I want to know who they are. I want to know what all they went on to do after this story. Now, I'm speculating here. This is not in the Bible at all. But, you know, sometimes I was thinking about this early this morning when I was getting ready. I thought, you know, one thing I love is how much the Bible tells us. But I also love how much it doesn't tell us. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever just been astonished at how much the Bible doesn't say? Let me give you an example. My favorite church in the New Testament is the church at Antioch in the book of Acts. And the Antioch church was such a model church to us today. But do you know what the Bible refuses to tell us? Is how many people went to Antioch. We don't know if they were a church of 30, if they were a church of 300. We don't know if they were a church of 3,000. We have no knowledge whatsoever of how many people, how big the church of Antioch was. And I think that's totally by design. Would you agree with that? 
how much the Bible says and how much it doesn't say. And all morning this morning, I've just been thinking about these four men, these four guys who carried their friend to Jesus. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm totally speculating, okay? But run with me on this. I just cannot help but wonder what happened after Jesus died and he resurrected. He spent 40 days with his followers. He ascended before 500 of his believers. I wonder if these men were in that 500. I wonder when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and the church was born and all of a sudden the church explodes in Jerusalem were these men part of it. I wonder if a few of these men, two or four, I wonder if, if, if they went on to become missionaries in other lands. I wonder if they went on to become pastors or elders. I wonder if they went on to serve as deacons, but I guarantee you they went on to serve the church in some type of capacity. Oh, I wish the Bible had told us. I'll have to wait for heaven. But I want to know so bad. If these men were willing to do this on this day, what else do you think they did for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God for the rest of their lives? Amen? Oh, I want to be of that caliber. I want, to, I want to be one of those men who I'll do anything to bring people to Jesus. I want to be of that caliber that I'll move heaven and earth to pray and to design and to invite and to get people to Jesus. I want to be that caliber. These men... The Bible says, carried their friend to see Jesus. And when they got there, the crowd was so large that they couldn't even get near the door. Now, scholars tell us, historians tell us the way homes were made in this day. If you can imagine with your mind's eye, this would have been a single level home. In the middle was a great room. This is where Jesus was. There was a great room, which today we would call a family room or a sitting room, or a living room. But you had a great room, and this is where the crowd was that was on the inside and then the large crowd on the outside. Well, almost every home of this day had an external staircase going up to the roof. And so, um, and so they carried their friend up this staircase. <laughs> and, and check this out. This is how... Roofs were made then. They obviously would have laid the wooden beams across, but over the beams, they took what was called thatch, and they would lay thatch down, and on top of the thatch, they would put thick mud, and they would let mud harden over that thatch, and then over the mud, they would put tile. So if you can picture this in your, in your mind's eye, these men get up on the roof. I don't know if anyone was paying attention because everybody was focused on Jesus. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they start removing the tile off of the roof. They're, they're going to destroy this thing. One account in the gospel say they begin to dig. And why does it say dig? Because they're digging through the mud. They're digging through the thatch. And think how large of a section this would have had to be because he was lying on, a, on what the Bible calls a bed. So this had to be large enough that a full-grown man could have been lowered down. Are you believing this? 
There's a saying in the church today, and I really like it, and we think about it a lot as a church. There's a saying that says, if you're going to reach people that no one else is reaching, then we must do what no one else is doing. That's a great statement. If we're going to reach people that no one else is reaching, then we must do what no one else is doing. And these men on this day, now, now listen, I want to see ourselves in this story. These men could have saw the crowd carry, we don't know how far they carried their friend. We don't know how long it took them to get there. We don't know how much sweat equity that they had in this project. But when they got there, they could have got discouraged and said, well, there's no use. They could have got offended and they could have got mad at the crowd. Can you believe that the crowd didn't just step aside and say, please, please bring this man. They could have got angry. They could have got offended. They could have got upset. They could have quit and said, there's no use. But no, you know what these men did? They put their heads together. (laughs) And one of them, I'd love to know which one. It was probably the daredevil of the group. It was probably the ones who always said, hey, watch this, right? You know, you know that type? Do you know that type? You know, sometimes I'll think, who, who tests out bungee jumps? I mean, who test runs that stuff, right? I picture it was that guy, you know? I'll be the first. Not me, uh-uh. Anyways... One of them must have said, I got an idea. It's reckless. It's dangerous. But I think it's going to work. Church, are we willing to do what no one else is doing to reach people that no one else is reaching? Are we willing to do that? Are we so focused on others that we'll do things that are uncomfortable. We'll push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. We'll do things that are hard. We'll do things that are uneasy in order to get people to Jesus. If we're gonna get a burden for souls, it's gonna take that kind of faith. That kind of faith that doesn't play it easy. You know, the last several Sundays, before I've spoken or after I've spoken, I've talked to you about Awaken to Grace and the amount of money I have to raise may not seem like a whole lot to you. It sure is a whole lot to me. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll think, you know, it'd be so much easier just to play it safe, just to be happy with where we are. But let me tell you, when it comes to the gospel, I don't want to play it safe. I want to bet the farm. I don't want to play it safe. I want to leave it all on the line. I don't want to play it safe. I want to say, God, either you're going to deliver or I'm going to sink and drown, one or the other. I think we need to have a radical type of faith that says we believe in this gospel so much. We treasure it so much. My life has been changed so much. I'll do whatever it takes to bring others into this exact same life change. Amen? Amen. It ought to be our response. And thank God for these four men that wouldn't give up. Thank God for these four men that didn't get offended. Some people are sitting at home today because someone in some crowd at some church offended them. 
Don't quit. Don't quit. Have a resolve about you. Amen? Matthew Browder and I was at lunch this week, and there was a lady who came up and talked to us, and we were sitting there talking about everything church-related and all this and that. And, and Matthew, if you know Matthew, man, I just love that man. And he asked that lady, you know, he said, uh, uh, I forget how he asked it, something to the effect of, are you saved? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? However he said it. And the lady, very pleasant, wonderful lady, but she hesitated and she said, well, sort of, kind of, not really, but sort of. And she was so nice and so pleasant. And she said, I've seen a lot of bad things growing up in church. Sure. Some of you have had some bad experiences. Sure. But you know what I told that lady? We're sitting at stir fry. You ever eat stir fry? I just made myself hungry, daggone it. <laughs> if Matt will come, we'll go ahead and close right now. Lord, thank you for today. No, I'm kidding. But we're at stir fry, and oh, it's so good. It's so good. Amen. I'm really thinking about it right now. But you know... I've got my big plate there, drunken noodles with spicy chicken. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I told that lady, I said, I've had bad experiences in restaurants. I've had bad experiences there, I've, but that don't keep me from coming back. I guarantee you there's hypocrites back there in that kitchen. I guarantee you there's hypocrites on their waiting staff. But that don't keep me from coming and enjoying this meal. And she was so sweet. She rubbed my back. She said, that's exactly right. I said, don't let, don't let anyone keep you from Jesus. And these men could have gotten offended. I would have. I'm carrying a paralyzed man and you can't get out of my way. But they didn't get offended. They dug through that roof. They moved heaven and earth for their friend. Now, let me close today talking about this paralytic. You know, let me be careful how I say this. I, I just I want to be really transparent with you. In this day, disabilities were seen as judgments from God. Do you remember the man who was born blind and even the disciples of Jesus asked Jesus, who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that he would be born blind? And do you remember what Jesus said? Neither. This situation is to the glory of God. People with disabilities were looked very down upon. They were judged in society. I can't imagine what it took for this man to agree to be carried what I think was in front of hundreds of people. I think it took a lot. I know for me, in what I have faced in blindness, the first few months that I was blind, I didn't go out. 
I hated going out to restaurants. I still don't like it, to be honest. I forced myself to do it. Friday, Sadie drugged me to Sam's in Johnson City. She told me that if I'd go, she'd buy me a slice of pizza out of the deli, and it worked. <laughs> and it was good, and I enjoyed it. But I did not enjoy being drugged all over Sam's. And it's hard. And when I go out to eat, there are times I spill drinks, and, and it's really tough. And since I've been open about that, I've had a lot of people with disabilities come up to me personally and say, we understand exactly what you're saying. It's hard for us to go places. But see, in our culture, people don't look at someone with a disability and go, oh, God's judged you. But they did this, man. They did him. What did it take for him to, A, even agree to be carried to meet Jesus? And I can't imagine how his heart sank when he saw the crowd and he knew there was no way. I'm not getting anywhere near him. There's too many people. And what do you think went through his mind and went through his heart when one of his buddies, (laughs) one of his buddies said, no, I got an idea. I mean, we're going to have to do some property damage and we're probably all going to go to jail, but I think it's going to work. We're going to take you up to the roof. We're going, to, we're going to destroy the roof and we're going to lower you down. What went through his head? What do you think he actually thought when they actually dug the roof out and dirt is on top of the head of Jesus and all, the, and, and all these people are looking up and, and your buddy goes, okay, hold on tight. And they start to lower him. I bet he felt embarrassed. I bet he felt scared. You're talking about feeling like you're imposing. And I bet he felt awful. But what does Mark tell us that Jesus said (laughs) as the man is being lowered down? Jesus saw their faith. Let me tell you, when Jesus looks at me, I don't want him to see a pastor or a minister or even a blind man. I want him to see my faith. The Bible says in Luke chapter 18 that when Christ returns, he's looking for people of faith upon the earth. What does Jesus see when he sees you? Some of you would stick your chest out and say, I think God would see ambition. I'm an ambitious person. My friend, that don't impress God. Some would say, well, I think Jesus sees goodness because I'm a good person. It doesn't impress the Lord. Some would say talent. I'm quite skillful. I'm quite talented. It doesn't impress the Lord. God wants to see faith in your life today. And I want to tell you today who maybe you're either in the building or you're watching online. I want to tell you there are some of you listening, and I know this in my heart and by the Spirit of God. There are some of you that you don't feel good enough for Christ. You feel embarrassed. 
You're embarrassed over your past. You're embarrassed over decisions you've made in life. But like a lame man, like a blind man, like a crippled man, like a man with edema that we saw last week, you are unable to help yourself. And let me give you the good gospel news. When you recognize your inability, when you recognize your inability to save yourself or to help yourself, and all you have is Jesus, that's when you'll realize that's all you need. Amen? It's all you need. And that's when God looks at you and he sees faith in your heart. And I know in my heart, there are people listening today that you're like that paralyzed man. You have all good intentions, but in your heart, your heart's beating fast going, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't know if he'll accept me. I don't even know if he'll touch me. I don't know if he'll change me. And I'm here to tell you, he will. He absolutely will. Jesus healed this man. He touched this man. He transformed him. And church history doesn't tell us what happened to him. But I'm telling you, I cannot help but believe that when the church got ramped up, he wasn't there leading the early church in Jerusalem saying, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Where do you see yourself today? Do you see yourself in this crowd? That all you are is curious. That's it. You're not repentant. You're amazed. You're astonished. But you're not repentant. Do you see yourself in these four heroes? These four heroes who the Bible didn't tell us their name but they moved heaven and earth. Are you interceding? Will you enter into intercessory prayer for the lost? Are there people at your work that you'll do anything to bring them to Jesus? People in your neighborhood, people in your family, people that it's in your sphere of friends that you'll do anything to bring them to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it better than anybody I've ever heard say it. Charles Spurgeon said, yes, there'll be more people in hell than heaven. The Bible tells us that. Broad is the way to hell that leads to destruction, narrows the way that goes to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Yes, there will be more people in hell than there are in heaven. But you know what that great prince of preachers said in the 1800s? He said, if more people are going to go to hell than heaven, he said, let us lay in the floor in intercessory prayer and let them have to leap over our bodies to get there. That needs to be our attitude. Are you one of these four that you're bringing people to Jesus? You're actively, you're praying. You'll tear off any roof. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Boy, I want our church to be that way. We don't care how much money it costs. Come on, you with me right now? We don't care because money's not our bottom line. Souls is the bottom line. That's our bottom line. Souls. And we don't care how much it costs because when you find a pearl of great value, you'll sell it all. When you find a field that has treasure, you'll sell it all. And we don't care how much this gospel costs.
Hallelujah. We'll tear off every roof. Amen. For today, do you see yourself like this poor, paralyzed man who could do nothing for himself? Today is the Holy Spirit showing you your great need for Jesus. Oh, I pray he is. Let's pray right now. Lord, we need you. Oh, how we need you. Oh, how we need you. Today, if you're that paralyzed man, if you're a teenager, if you're a college student, if you're a retired person, if you're married, single, divorced, I don't care what stage of life you're in. I don't care how old you are today or how young you are. When Jesus shows you your need for him. Let me tell you what that is. That's God's kindness, Romans 2.14, leading you to repentance. And today you may have never felt like you'll be accepted by Jesus. You may feel like your past is too bad. You may feel like your decisions have been too sinful. No, let me tell you, Jesus says in this same chapter, He came to seek and save those who were lost. He didn't come for those who were well, those that were self-righteousness, those who have no need of a physician. He came for those who were sick and they need the great physician. Will you acknowledge that today? You know, I'm just gonna be led by the Holy Spirit today. If you say, Chad, I'm that paralyzed person. I'm in need of Jesus. I want you right now to come down to this altar and somebody is going to come pray with you. I know that means getting up in front of everybody, but what did that paralyzed man feel like? Being lowered down in front of everyone. But Jesus saw his faith. And I'm telling you, you get up out of your seat, you come to this altar today, Jesus is going to see your faith. Do it right now. Do it right now. And somebody's going to pray for you. Deacons, deacons' wives, leaders, I want you to watch. And let's pray for people today. Come right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come right now and say, I am coming to Jesus because sin has paralyzed my life. But Jesus is going to touch me today. He's going to make me whole today. He's going to change my life today. Those of you watching online, I don't care if it's a year or 10 years after this sermon is preached. Jesus will touch you. He'll save you. He'll heal you. He'll forgive you. There are no time constraints with the Lord. He'll do it right now, right now in your life. Pray and ask the Lord to change your life. Oh God, I thank you for that day that those four men tore the roof off the building to bring people to Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you say in your word that you will for no reason turn away those who come to you. You'll not turn us away. You won't say you're not good enough. You won't say you're not moral enough. You're not accepted. You'll never do that. You'll never turn anyone away that will come to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Now, Lord, I pray for those of us who say we want to get people to Jesus. God, would you renew the passion? 
would you set a fire to our heart, a burning flame to bring people to Jesus to where it consumes us. It consumes us. This life is short and it's full of trouble. This life is going to be passed in no time. And what is done for eternity, that's all that's going to last. Let us live with eternity in mind, eternity in view in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh God, we yield to you today. We yield to you today, Lord. We yield to you. Perhaps you're here today and you say, Chad, I'm one of those curiosity people. I'm, I'm here out of curiosity. Then get serious with the Lord. Get serious with the Lord. Get serious with Him. I'm telling you, this is not religion, friends. This is not religion. This is the living God. This is the living God coming in and rearranging our lives. This is not religion. Not religion. And today, if you're here and in your heart, you're saying, I'm, I'm seeking a religion, or you're watching online and you're seeking a religion, I'm t- you won't find that in Christianity. But what you'll find is a God who will leave heaven and come to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And in all of your seeking God, let me tell you, friends, the good gospel news is God is really seeking you. Because he'll leave the 99 and he'll go after the one lost sheep. Hallelujah. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you still accept sinners. Thank you, God, you accept sinners and you change us. We're now the saints of God from sinners to saints. Only the grace of God, only the blood of Jesus. Only the grace of God can do such a thing. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God, for all of those who responded today. All of those who by faith moved faith is a verb it's action those who moved thank you God thank you thank you thank you oh 